Hello, and welcome to the Daydream Believers podcast. I'm your host, Liz Chirelli. Here, you'll find a monthly dose of insight to help keep you motivated, inspired, and informed so you can continue working towards your dreams. We cover a variety of topics from mindset to health to strategy so you can become the person you need to be in order to turn your dreams into reality. Every now and then, we'll also bring in some music artists to showcase some of the finest electronic music out there. Thanks for listening, and remember to head to lizchirelli.com to download a free morning motivation that'll guarantee you start each day strong and stay on the path to success. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Daydream Believers podcast. Liz here. And welcome to this very, very special episode. I'm so excited to welcome onto the show my dear friend and mentor, Mr. Gary Gray, aka Yoda, (laughs) (laughs) who is an award-winning producer, composer, songwriter, and mentor. He's changed the lives of many, including myself, with his incredible mentoring skills and incredible studio skills as well. It's an honour and a privilege and an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto the show, Gary. And so excited that we get to do this actually in person. <laughs> I know. We were going to be doing this like long distance. Long distance. Yeah. What's cool is that, um, anyway, I'll introduce myself quickly. Please do. As you wanted me to. Yeah. So as she said, my name is Gary Gray and I am a composer, producer, engineer, and those are my studio dogs. Maybe <laughs> we should let them yeah. in. Yeah. So I think they want to be introduced to. Yeah. They're like, yeah, what about us? Come on, Emma. <laughs> okay, and this is Emma. She heard the podcast start. <laughs> Emma is the queen of the universe. Okay. I'll say that Emma is the queen of the universe. Okay, Emma? Are you happy now? There. And there are two other studio dogs, and whether they will come in or not, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> So you've gotten to know them. Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> They're a very important part, actually, of my life and of the studio here. As you can see, this is not scripted. Yeah. <laughs> it's never scripted. <laughs> so I grew up in Cleveland, and Cleveland's actually a big music town. I'm very lucky to come from there. The, uh, the Michael Jackson of conductors grew up in, well, didn't grow up, but he moved to Cleveland at one time. Okay, we have, we have another st- studio dog. <laughs> studio dog number two. <laughs> Okay, who is it? It's Jake. Uh, it's Jake. Come on, Jake. Okay. Uh oh. Emma's not happy about Jake joining in. She was like, this was my show. This is Jake. Jake has to put up with Emma. Okay. <laughs> and Kobe will probably be coming in just Shortly. as we get, you know, comfortable. You get going again. So. I grew up in Cleveland, that was saying. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Here, why don't you hold her? And uh, as I was growing up in Cleveland, I was saying that the, the Michael Jackson of conductors, his name was George Zell. When I was a kid, he was there. And for anyone that was uh, interested or involved in classical music, any, at that time in the world when I was growing up, um, he was like the main man. And I had no clue, because I was going to these, like, for school we would do these... Um, they call them field trips. And we would be bused downtown to Cleveland to watch the Cleveland Orchestra rehearse. Wow. So I watched rehearsal after rehearsal. 
And I got to see like basically the greatest conductor in the world, you know, doing his thing behind the scenes. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a great education. I mean, it's helped so much now. I had no clue then, mm. you know, how spoiled I was. But um, so kind of fast forward. So I grew up in Cleveland and I went to the Cleveland Institute of Music. And then I got a scholarship to go to Northwestern in Chicago. And I grew up, you know, um, playing in bands and starting my own bands. And then after Chicago, went back to Cleveland and then moved to Hollywood. And within three months in Hollywood, I was working as the advertising and promotion manager for Music Connection magazine. And that was like the hub of the industry. So I grew up on the business side as well. And then at night, I was playing drums under Barry Gordy for Motown Records. Amazing. And um, from there, I just, you know, just fell in love with Hollywood and the whole scene. And I mean, people will tell you the and there are some brutal aspects of life that we're definitely going to go over because, you know, one thing about mentoring, I like to be very real. Mm -hmm. I'm very encouraging to people. And I try to bring out the best in them. But part of bringing out the best in someone is preparing them for the brutal side of life, yeah. which tends to be there. Yes. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I have a term I call brutiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I call life brutiful. It's, it's beautiful. There's beautiful aspects to it, but it's brutal also. Yeah. So you have to be in tune and prepared for both. You know, you have to be able to create through the brutal to, to create beautiful. Yeah. And so um, my whole philosophy is to surround yourself with people that can make life less brutal for you and where you can make it less brutal for them. Yeah. And hopefully make it more beautiful as well. Yeah. You know, so um, thanks to Emma and Jake, <laughs> I've had a kind of a somewhat interrupted summary of my life here but yeah. that's kind of how it goes yeah no <laughs> it's a realistic look at life yeah exactly not always exactly as planned but <laughs> you know hopefully you keep it on your plan as much as possible and it all works out in the end yes. <laughs> yeah. so yeah you touched on you know kind of the truths some of the truths and the brutalities of living in hollywood and you have an amazing expression which i love which i've just discovered has also been extended upon which is the myth makers and the brainwashers and the tail chasers yes so how does one sift through and find the good people? Well, my philosophy on that is that many people, from my observation, tend to look at life in a vertical fashion. Mm. So they'll take whatever the subject is, just take people as a subject, right? Mm. So many people will say, uh, well, white people are this way, black people are this way, Europeans are this way. They put everybody in a vertical column and then they assign it either a value or some type of a characteristic, you know, you can call it prejudice. I mean, some of them are stereotypes, some of them are cultural. Some of those observations are true, you know, and then many of them are kind of twisted. But oftentimes it's vertical. So it's very interesting. Uh, what I find in, in Hollywood is if you have a vertical look at life, you're going to have a lot of trouble. Hmm. So if you go like, oh, all producers are like this, or all managers are like this, hmm. or all this are like that. And even though people will say, well, I don't think that way. I watch and I observe, and they, but they act that way. So actions really show hmm. where somebody is, where their philosophy is. Hmm. You know. So my look on it is it's horizontal, meaning we have responsible people at the top and irresponsible people at the bottom mm. and they can be anything vertically yeah it doesn't matter yeah so white black producer 
actress, Chinese, and, and whatever. Mm. The, it doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter. Because my, my philosophy is that we're all spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. We have no color. We have no... Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're all man-made labels. Yeah. Yeah. However, one thing that does differentiate us is our level of responsibility, our character. Mm-hmm. So what I say to my students and what I try to do myself is to really become a good judge of character. And, you know, I'll hear, like, don't judge people. Like, that's the most, to me, sorry, but that's the most stupidest thing you could do in life <laughs> is, like, don't judge people. <laughs> And I don't mean judge like in a, don't put them down. Like judge can be yeah. used in a bad way. Yeah, yeah. But let's see, let's take a look at what judging people means. So judging people means to observe someone and then to weigh their good and their bad. Mm. Now, if you don't do that, good luck in Hollywood or anywhere, but especially in Hollywood. Yeah. Because here you have people that can be, and I'm saying people, I'm going horizontal. So you have people on the lower echelons. The good thing, in my view, in my opinion, and from my philosophy, is that there aren't many of them. Many people think that there's a lot of people that are like sharks or these, you know, mm. negative, destructive individuals, which they exist. My observation is that there aren't many. There are few, but they they do such good work. Meaning, yeah. you know, they're so effective yeah. that they make it seem like they're kind of everywhere. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's how they hide. You know, how they hide is they spread rumor very broadly so that they aren't focused upon. Mm. And then it seems like, oh, it's everybody all around. I don't know who it is that's causing mm. all this chaos. Mm. So I think it's important to judge a person by their character, by their actions, by do they keep their word? Mm -hmm. Are they there for you? You know, is the result of their activity around you something good? Mm, Is it positive? Yeah. Now, maybe they don't make you feel comfortable all the time. Mm. I mean, you know, we talk about that, right? Yeah. Like, you you can be around somebody that makes you a bit uncomfortable, but maybe that's because they're pointing out things that you just don't want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be careful, like... People go, I don't like being around them. And they'll go, they're toxic. They're destructive. Well, maybe they're just making them uncomfortable. You know, I I like to be around people who are, I mean, when I say I like, it doesn't feel good, but I've learned like in, in just wisdom of the years that if I'm around people who make me a little uncomfortable and point out things that I can be improving without being destructive to me, I, I like that. Mm. I like that. I've mm. learned to, to put myself in front of people like that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll have clients or students or this or that, where in the past I would have gone, eh, no, I'm not going to work with them. And now I'll go, I'm working with them. Yeah. And I become better and I help them. So. Yeah, it's like, that's kind of thing. If you don't challenge yourself, you tend to get comfortable and cease to or definitely slow down with growing um so yeah i I totally agree with that you also have this amazing and amazing um other little saying of trial and terror oh yeah (laughs) yeah i've been through lots of trial and terror yeah yeah what's your advice to somebody who is perhaps struggling to avoid unnecessary trial and terror how does one develop the ability to make good decisions 
rather than yeah making I guess uh, impulsive decisions that just lead to trial and error. <laughs> yeah. I would say that there's a tendency in our culture to microwave things. I got that from yeah. from Iz Avila. He's okay. the one that told me that. Yeah. And um, Liz knows is he's a um, kind of a well he's a legendary producer and. DJ and drummer who works for Usher and Ariana Grande, and he helped develop Beats headphones with his brother Bobby. And um, I invited Liz to actually become part of a team for a new record label that is and Bobby are, are heading. And he said this thing to me about three meetings ago, and he said, um, people in our culture are trying to microwave their careers, mm. especially some of the younger generation. Mm. You know, they want an instant result. Yeah from less than hard work yeah, and with not a lot of time put into it, not a lot of patience and with not a lot of understanding of what they're doing. And so my advice on that to avoid trial and terror is to kind of take on the, the old traditional story about the tortoise and the hare. Mm. And I go over that a lot with my students and even clients, and we talk about it. You know, try to do things right the first time. Like, there are certain ways that I mix. And, I, I mean, you've heard some of my productions, like the last one for 20th Century Fox, pretty epic kind of big stuff. And, you know, but I get a very good response, and I have a 97% uh, rate of having my material approved first time, like first mix in. Mm. But the way I do that is without microwaving things. Mm. I look at something and I estimate like how much work is it going to take to get this thing done. And whatever that estimate is, it's usually not enough. Mm. Even even when I look at it with this quote wisdom of knowing that it's probably going to be more than I think, it's more than I think than I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so so it's a matter of, it's very interesting because there's the philosophy of business versus the philosophy of art. Mm. And that has a lot to do with this trial and terror. Mm. Here's what I find. I find that people will, like for musicians, they'll be, they'll be mixing in the studio and they'll be at home and they'll be so excited about their, their music, they want to share it. So they get it out there and it's not done. That's really what I find. It's just not done. It's been microwaved. Mm. You know, it's not in the oven. Yeah. And so it, that's like the big mistake, number one. But also, you know, um, in terms of trial and terror, if you take the time, well, what are you going to do with the time? Okay. It's not just that, oh, if I put a lot of time, it's going to come out good. That's not necessarily true either. Mm. You could be second guessing yourself that whole time. Mm. Your confidence can be just wavering all over the place that whole time. You could be making something worse with all that time mm. you put into it. You know, so my advice is to definitely get a mentor that that is walking the walk that mm -hmm. can do, you know, what it is that you're trying to do mm -hmm. and find a mentor or mentors. And hopefully you can find one that's a good teacher. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm told I'm a good life coach and a good mentor. And I'm I'm really I feel fortunate in that because I get excited about helping others not go through the trial and terror. Yeah. You know, yeah. So part of it is to, you know, the tortoise and the hare, doing things right the first time. And, you know, it's funny, when I'm under the biggest pressure, I've, I've forced myself with this discipline of saying to myself, okay, like, well, on this last thing you heard, like from 20th Century Fox, they need this thing. They need it, 
right? But I'm in a lot of communication with them. So here's one way to avoid trial and terror. Lots of communication. Mm -hmm. So with those around you, whoever mm -hmm. it is, your family, you know, you have all kinds of, we have all kinds of balls to juggle right now. Yeah. And especially now with the uh, digital age and the internet and cell phones, we have too much to juggle, yeah. really. I mean, really, some I do it myself. I kind of overwhelm myself sometimes <laughs> by choosing to do too many things. Yeah. So the good side of it is I've learned to also delegate. So that's another way to avoid trial and terror. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have interns. Yeah, so maybe we could expand on that, actually, because I know for a fact um, inside Daydream Believers, you know, a lot of people often... Uh, are overwhelmed just with the sheer amount of stuff that they think they have to do or manage or be on top of. So how would you recommend someone goes about finding an intern to, to, to you know, to help ease the workload? Yeah, well, the I have an actual a system of, of hiring and training an intern. And it starts with an ad. And on the ad that you put in, I use Craigslist. Oh, cool. Okay. Some people um, may not get good results with Craigslist at, Craigslist at first because they may not be a good judge of character. Mm, okay. And they're afraid of Craigslist. And it would be um, a valid fear if you're not a good judge of character. Mm. So I would say the first step in getting an intern is to find somebody on your team. If you feel like you're not that good at judging character, find somebody around you who is. Okay. And have them help you interview mm. while you apprentice under that. It's like a mentorship right mm -hmm. there. You know, and it could be just a friend that you know that maybe you have a friend that works in HR somewhere and does mm. hiring, you know, yeah. Yeah. or just somebody you know. I mean, we, we all tend to go and seek advice from people who tend to have good judgment yeah so because the failure comes like this people will start to look for an intern and then they'll either be afraid to choose somebody mm. because they're not that good at judging character so they're just afraid of choosing a bad person so they they choose no one mm. you know they may start interviewing 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 where's your intern oh, i'm interviewing you know three months four months five months mm. So that's one area of failure. And the other is that once they do interview and hire somebody, they, they don't understand how to train them. Yeah. Yeah. So to, inter to, to hire, I put an ad out. And the key thing is to find all the good things about yourself. Okay. And, and amplify them and okay. promote them okay. and say what you do or what you can do. <laughs> Jake said, yeah, I'm, I'm showing you the good things I can do. Yeah, I can balance on two laps at once. <laughs> and um, so I help my students put together an ad, you know, that really, okay. really boosts. And like I say, if you have a salad and you got all the tomatoes and the onions and the, and the mushrooms on the bottom, put them on the top. Right. You know, show the good parts. Find all your best qualities yeah, about you. Yeah, and promote them. Mm, okay. And because people want to work with successful people yeah. you might say well I, I have no success I've never done anything well guess what if you have a studio and you're at home there's a lot of people who don't have that right. you can just simply say I'm a, I have a, I'm a producer I have a home studio I'm working on let's say licensing my music and I'm looking for somebody to help me who wants to learn something about home studios and licensing music yeah 
you know, and you could find some really good people. Yeah. Really good people that can help you and you can delegate to. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because um, a lot of, I think a lot of us suffer from this kind of, um, and we were talking about it the other day, you know, like dumbing yourself down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were to ask me, oh, you know, Liz, you know, well, what are, you know, what are your strengths? I'd probably be like, well, I don't know, you know, um, maybe I'm good at this or maybe I'm good at that. So do you think it would be helpful for someone to sit down, you know, with uh, a friend or perhaps a colleague or even, you know, a spouse um, so that that second person can help encourage and draw out the the good facts, the good the good bits of the salad, and put them on the top. <laughs> yeah, if 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 necessary, you yeah. know. I guess you know. Um, there's a foundation under all of this. I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, I was thinking about the podcast. Yeah. And one thing kept coming to my mind for some reason, and it was um, you know this this saying you hear people say like all men are created equal. Or all people, oh, you know, all yeah. people are created yeah, equal. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a twist of the truth of that that actual quote. Right. And the quote is that all men are created with equal rights, but it was never all men are created equal. Mm. So, it's an interesting, brutal aspect of life, which mm. to me, I believe and I observe that people are not created equal. Yeah. You know, if that were true. Everyone would be able to do everything equally. Yeah. And we're not. Just yeah. look around. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're not created equally. So some people, like your question, should you seek advice from others to find your strong points? Well, some people should and some people shouldn't. Right. We're not all equal. Yeah. So those who, yeah. you know, okay. those who need help and that are not very confident right now and that are having trouble finding what's the strong points, yeah. Right. Seek out the help. But yeah. others who can just kind of sit down and have the confidence and actually do it, do it. So that's what I would say. Yeah. 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 And how would one go about training an intern? Now th- yeah, that's awesome. I love this whole area of training interns. The main thing, like if, um, if I were going to like keel over and die here in like 30 seconds, the main thing I would tell you. <laughs> oh my God, you, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> the main thing that I would want to tell you about that which is so important is... Is don't push the red button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the main thing that I would say is to give them a space, give your intern a space that's not shared, that's unalterable, that they can call their own, and that will stabilize them. Because mm. in their life, usually they have things that um, they share, almost everything. Mm. You know, I've had 30 or 40 interns over the years. And the one thing I learned that's the most important thing to do is to give them a space. Like I even constructed a desk, you know, for Miguel. And you see I have a space for Spencer. And even when you're here, you know, yeah. I have your yeah, desk. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. you know, we make sure that nobody shares it. Yeah. And so that's a really important thing. Yeah. That's, um, that's a, I guess it's, it seems so obvious. And yet, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that probably 99.9% of people totally overlook that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I um, From dealing with different students and clients and stuff, there's these three words that people will tend to describe my philosophy. And it's hidden, simple wisdom. Hmm. Interesting. And so some of these things in life, you know, I, like literally some of them I didn't teach for a long time, but you know Why? Because I thought, well, I'm not going to teach that. That's like just so simple. Yeah. Why? I don't, you know. Why should I have to teach that? Or, you know, I don't want to make them feel 
like I'm telling them to do something they're already doing. Right. You know that feeling? Yeah. I'm already doing that. Yeah. But then I started observing more and more and more, and I was like, well, wait a minute. People aren't doing that. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And so those are the things that I've learned to really, really, you know, spend time sharing. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I've had the fortunate ability and the time to do a lot of research. You know, I talk to you about that all the time. Yeah. You know, to become a real soldier of research. Yeah. And I just love, I remember like a researcher from hell. <laughs> but I'll take something like this whole thing of uh, a desk for an intern. And I'll find like, I'll just keep researching, researching and, and look for, you know, other people that have researched the same thing. Like, why do people become unstable at work? Why? Mm. And that was the number one common denominator. So it's like this hidden. So I think it's hidden because it's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> I think people generally on this planet, we all as humans, we love complicated things. Yeah. We, we, we just tend to naturally overcomplicate things. So I think we actually do love complicated yeah. things. I think we're just bored. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People get bored easily. Yeah. So they complicate things. They like, I mean, really, like, if you look at, like, the problems in your life, it's like a game. Yeah. It's like gives you something to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something to talk about, something to do. Yeah. And I'd rather like, let's talk about some success, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's like the, the simplicity becomes hidden. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what would you, because I can just hear people in, it's almost like I'm inside people's heads at the moment, um, saying as they're listening to this, oh yeah, but I don't have space to set up another desk in my flat or house, or, you know, I live with my mom or I live with my parent and my, my wife won't let me or, you know, it's, what would you say, what would you say in response to those sorts of objections slash excuses? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I would say is this, is that you know, every problem has 10 solutions, mm -hmm. you know? And so we could take any one of those. Let's say somebody lives with their parents and they can't, and their parents say, no, you can't have anybody come over here. You can't have any interns. No way. You know, nobody can come in here and work. You can't give a desk there. So, you know what I would do? Maybe I'd find an intern where I could go to their place. And when they're working for me, I'm at their place. I mean, I just thought of that just now. <laughs> but that, that's how I think, you know, it's important to start thinking that way. Yeah. Think in terms like it's rich man, poor man. You know, there's yeah. famous books yeah. where the poor father would say, you can't afford that. The rich father would teach his son or his daughter, don't ever say you can't afford something that you really want and you need. Always say this. How could I afford that? Yeah. How could I afford it? So it's like, how could I solve this? Yeah. Rather than, oh man, I can't solve it. Yeah. How could I solve it? I think that's such uh, an important and incredibly powerful um, habit to develop because a lot of us are programmed to react by saying, oh no, I can't afford it or no, that's not going to work. I'm not going to be able to do that. So many of us have a poor man mentality without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd really love if, the, if there's any one thing that listeners take away from today <laughs> to, to take away the question of how can I how can I do this rather than no, I can't do, do that. that. Yeah. How? Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Because then you'll start to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. And if somebody lives very remotely, say, for example, like me <laughs> and, I, and doesn't have 
interns or assistants available in person immediately and has to kind of work remotely as I do um, how would you then advise people to move forward with that procedure in terms of like hiring someone and working online remotely oh I them? see yeah I would say find somebody local okay I would not go remotely first Okay, okay. Remote management is a higher level of skill than face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. And if, and if you're still getting your feet and you're learning how to, like, judge people, train people, how to hire, you know, all these things, mm-hmm. remote is more difficult. Mm. So I would just, you know, grab your little brother. <laughs> Literally. Like, you know what I, like, Paul? Paul Armendaris, right? Yeah. He has two kids, three kids. And two of them are old enough that they help him around the house and stuff like that. And one day he he was like, I can't get interns. He now has two interns, by the way. But you know how he got to there? I said, how about your kids? Just to have them help you. Because he kept telling me, Gary, because we we ultimately do life coaching, you know. Yeah. I've never been able to teach a student without going through the challenge of life coaching. Mm. You know, here I am teaching music production. But no one has ever achieved their potential that I've taught who didn't touch upon life coaching as, you know, mm. a necessary thing to do. Because mm. if you just teach somebody music production, yeah. you know, it's going to, and they're not going to reach their full potential because no. there's too much life coming at them. Yeah. Yeah. So with Paul, it was like, you know, he kept saying, I, my family time, I have to balance my family time with my studio time. How do I do all this? And I finally said, how old are your children? You know, and, and he told me, and two of them were like old enough to. So he got them to intern. Oh, now he's spending studio, t- you know, spending family time in the studio, doing his studio work, getting more done. Amazing. Like spending more family time and more studio time at the same time. Yeah. You know, so it's Brilliant. that, it's that how can I do it yeah. kind of thing. I'm sure there are a few listeners that will have aha moments at this point. <laughs> it's, it's like the farmers, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just get your kids out in the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the Dreamers did actually submit a lot of questions. Oh, okay. Um, you probably had the most questions out of all my guests oh, wow. thus far. That better be good. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> you ready? Help me, Jake. <laughs> so one question, and this is from Mark Williams. He says... My question to Gary is, the music industry in recent years has evolved into a marketplace where independent artists now enjoy the ability to launch and control their own careers. As someone who works in the industry in Los Angeles, and from this perspective, what does he see as the future trends for independent artists and the music industry globally? I see a future trend where independent artists are, especially like the up-and-coming young independent artists, Mm -hmm. where they, for the most part, have mastered a lot of the digital technology. Mm. And so much of the industry has to do with digital technology right Mm. now. I mean, everything, social media, mixing, mastering, every aspect of it, Mm -hmm. networking, Mm -hmm. you know, so much of it is done with technology. Mm. So I see a trend happening where the older generation is infusing wisdom into the younger generation, but the younger generation is infusing this whole technological expertise and savviness 
yeah. into the older generation. Yeah. It's something that hasn't happened before. And I think it's really, really cool. It's very cool. Yeah. I have like, you know, people that like some young students and I literally will contact like it's it's kind of like, yeah, they're my students, but I'm their student at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Do you know what I and a lot of that that's to me the trend of the of the future for the industry, where there's gonna be uh for the first time ever a circular mentorship and apprenticeship happening between the generations. That's really beautiful. It's always been like one way. One way, yeah, exactly. The other part of it is that when technology first like really hit hard, you know, in the late nineties till probably a couple of years ago, there was to me a um, a negative thing that happened, mm. which is that the the wisdom from the older generation got knocked back, got knocked mm. out a little mm. bit. And there was a brilliant article I saw where older people have drier hands. Yeah. And uh, technology of cell phones and touch screens yeah. are based on moisture. Yeah. And so where a lot of the younger people were thinking, oh, that old person doesn't know what they're doing with their cell phone or mm. how stupid, mm. you know, the, you know, they're just like they can't get with the new technology. Mm. Well, guess what? Some of that was because literally there was so much frustration from an older person who had drier hands. It, the technology wouldn't work. Yeah. They couldn't swipe their screen. Yeah. And you look at them and you think, oh, they're so stupid. They can't get it done. Yeah. They're just old. Yeah. Well, those little they're not so little. Like when you multiply that through an entire world culture, what happens is the younger people lose respect for that older person. And then there's a bridge that's busted. Yeah. And there's a, an important wisdom that should be coming from the older generation to the younger generation that got that. cut a bit. Yeah. And I think that what's happening now is that's being repaired. That's mm-hmm. just an observation I have. So like I said, it's a circular mentorship and apprenticeship between the generations Mm. and there's a also that's one thing the other thing is a pendulum so there's been a pendulum away from quality control layers of quality control yeah there used to be record labels that had layers of quality control on the music and the artist artist development yeah and you know the project we're working on yeah you know we're directly right between the eyes attacking that whole lack of layers of quality control in the industry so you have a person at home on their home studio and they're just releasing their stuff usually prematurely because they yeah. microwaved it yeah. usually yeah and and there's not even one layer of quality control there there's just like the artist kind of creating but creating is not quality control yeah creating is creating and when you're done like when you write a paragraph and you on your email you hit spell check and then even after spell check read it like, I, sometimes I fall asleep, you know, for some reason, the letter D, you know, like when I'm falling asleep, I look up on my screen, it's D's, D, 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 you know? <laughs> but it should be Z's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, even when I'm in that state, you know, and I have a deadline and I have to send out this email and I'm attaching a, uh, you know, a file to it, I will, I will go, okay, I'm going to take a 10-minute nap right now and I'll yeah. set my alarm and I'll rest and I'll, and I'll wake up just to reread that email before I send it out. That's yeah. a that's a layer of quality control. That's a non microwaved philosophy and approach. Yeah. And that's um, a trend of the future. Like we went away from that, and I feel yeah. it coming back. Yeah. I feel like quality control is coming back. Artist development is coming back, 
And so I see some really, really good things, you know. Yeah. That's what I, I see. There, the, you know, at the same time, there will always be, it's like a triangle. It's like a pyramid. And on the bottom are people that are just, you know, amateur on, how, on pretty much everything they do. They're just amateurs. And so that's, that's where most of the people are, sadly. Mm-hmm. And as you move up, you know, people are more and more disciplined and have more and more quality control. And then you only have a few at the top. And to me, that's why you have a few at the top. It's the only reason. Yeah, it takes a lot of discipline. Discipline, quality control, mm. responsibility, you know. Mm. So I'm actually optimistic thinking that more of that stuff that's at the top of the pyramid, the discipline, the hard work, the quality control, is going to be filtered down so people can come up more Yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah. Good. That's really encouraging and and it's a hopeful it's a hopeful and very i think quite positive outlook because a lot of i speak to some people um about having a creative career in general you know whether it's in photography or film or books you know writing or music and i encounter people that say oh you know it's not it's not how it used to be you know i can't get funding from x y and z because nobody's got any money anymore um or, you know, I can't get, I, you know, as a, as a music artist, for example, I can't get signed to a record label who wants to invest in me because record labels don't have money anymore. And so I think we have this kind of generational gap between the, the younger generations who are, you know, who are able to somehow manifest 16 million Spotify streams through creative collaborations or just through being really tech savvy and being able to somehow work their network to get loads and loads of streams on Spotify and this kind of they're not even old they're you know people maybe in their 40s maybe 50s maybe even 30s who who are kind of this weird bridge generation that is it is they are tech savvy but they're not as like on it as the younger generation um and I think like my question to you is what would you say to those people who are perhaps still trying to go down the more traditional parts of getting funding, funding or getting funded for their creative projects, what would a more productive and constructive approach be for them? To have five sources of income. Okay. And that's one thing that I learned that's kind of a rule or a law of business, you could say. Mm. And each person has their own top five. They have their own abilities and gifts and things that they enjoy and they can do. Mm-hmm. And everyone has five top ones. Even if the fifth one is way down, it's still, they have five. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They have five things that they can do, five sources of income, five different, not like five students. That's one source of income. That's teaching students is one yeah. source. Whether you have five students or a hundred, that's one source of income. So I would say to those people that um, rather than asking the question like, how do I get funding for my... It's a wrong question, basically, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. In life, I think one problem is the wrong question gets yeah. asked. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I fund my art? The question really, to me, is this. What are my top five priority income streams? But you have to get educated in order to ask the right questions. So people will ask questions based on their education. Mm. And it goes back, I think, to mentoring, mm. mentoring, apprenticing, you know, finding people that are good at business and understand business 
especially musicians, you know, there's a stereotypical musician, which like, you know, they're kind of crazy and they're poor, you know, the starving artist, mm. you know, they're eccentric and crazy and disorganized and poor. Yeah. Well, to me, you know, they're poor because they're disorganized and think that you have to be crazy to be creative. You know, mm. the people that I've been around that have been the most successful have been incredibly disciplined, very few vices, mm. very sane, and incredibly organized. Mm. Worked their asses off. Mm. You know, pardon my French. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm so lucky to have one of my, in, my mentors is Quincy Jones. Yeah. Well, you spend two minutes with that guy, and you are just bowled over yeah. with discipline, organization, like clear thinking, intelligence. He might have a sip of wine here or there, but he's not like Mr. Vice. Yeah. You know, far from it. Yeah. Speaks several languages. So he's considered like, okay, the top producer in the world, you know. Well, after you're around him, like I said, just for a few minutes, you have no question why. Why he's at the top. Yeah. yeah. So this thing, like, how do I get funded? No, it's like, how do I get organized? How do I get more disciplined? How do I find my five sources of income? But that takes education to even ask those questions. Yeah. You know, hopefully, you know, I'm able to share this wisdom now with anyone watching this who may not have been educated that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's sometimes, you know, when, people, when my students come back and say, wow, this has been life-changing, it sometimes is because of the areas that where they were asking the wrong questions. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a simple, simple shift to focus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on your mentors. Yeah. I, I know that you've had a string of jaw, jaw-droppingly legendary mentors, uh, Quincy being one of them, Phil Collins being another, Chick Corea being another. Who else was there? Phil Ramone. Phil Ramone. Yeah, I'm Jermaine Jackson. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just I've been so lucky. How did you meet these people? I'm sure everyone's asking the same question who's listening. <laughs> you know, like, I have a, um, I've learned this philosophy where when you start any kind of a business relationship or any type of relationship, is if you ask the person, first you just like, make yourself known and say who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. Without saying what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the ways that I finally started breaking through and getting these incredible mentors and, and just getting into incredible situations was because I learned that the best way to go about living is introduce yourself, let the person know what you do, kind of who you are, and then focus on one thing only is to find out and discover what that person needs and wants and deliver it. Yeah. Period. <laughs> like, period. So, like, uh, th- I'll give you an example, you know. Th- that's how I, I got this, this uh, client, 20th Century Fox, you know, here in my home studio. I do, like, you heard the productions. I'm doing, like, epic productions right mm-hmm. here. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> right? and, I, and I, you know, and that's what I teach, and it's a niche that I've developed. But... How did I get that? You know, the people that do kind of the same level of work that I do in the industry, they work in major studios. So how I did it was I found out from 
when I did get this gig, I got it from Disney. Disney referred 20th Century Fox to me. And I was doing work for Disney, and I basically was asking this guy from Disney that I learned was um, connected to somebody that I was working with, you know, what do you, what do you need and want? So one thing led to another, and they needed certain type of work, so I did the work for them. They were very happy with it. They referred 20th Century Fox to me. 20th Century Fox came to me, and I continually would just find out what they needed and wanted, even on each project, the details of what they needed and want. Now, a lot of my friends are like, hey, Gary, I have a track. Can you, can you play it for 20th Century Fox? You know, and without dampening their enthusiasm, I just tell them, well, I haven't even played on one of my tracks. Why not? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's this kind of a me, me, me mm-hmm. thing. Mm. Yeah. And I don't blame anyone for doing it because it's, it's continually ground in yeah. so much in our culture that you should... Quit your job if you're not happy with it. What do you need in life? You need to find your happiness. You need to be happy. You need to, you know, like, be rich. And you need you, 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 you. So it becomes me, me, me. That's what you're listening to all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I've learned just from various mentors and just from living that if you can focus on one thing and nothing else it's amazing what happens in your life. Mm-hmm. So I, for the last maybe, I don't know, 10 years now, I've been on this kind of campaign once I learned this to just help people. Now, the type of people I help is key. I help people who deserve the help. Mm. And when I do that, they inevitably will help me. I don't know when, I don't know how, but they always do. Always. So here's a case in point. So I've been working with 20th Century Fox and like I never, ever, even till today, I never presented them with a track of mine. Even though I'm a, I'm an official vendor, I'm working from within 20th Century Fox now. And I've just taken every project they've given me and every time I finish a project, they give me another one. And I did, uh, October I did one. And in November, they said, hey, Gary, we want you to do something kind of special. And I was like, what's that? And they said, we want you to uh, compose and produce and mix and master the holiday version of our iconic fanfare theme. You know, the twin, you know, that whole thing. And I was like, wow. You know, and that was my plan. It was like a five-year plan. And I've been working with them for about going on two years now. And it happened like in 2018. You know, just this last year. So, and that came about just because I was asking, like, what do you need and want? What do you need and want? Always there, being a team member, very positive, never drama, no long messages, concise, giving them what they want, and actually lifting them up. You know, like, I can tell that the licensing director, he's the director of licensing and creative at 20th Century Fox, he calls me, like, every month. And I can feel why he calls. He doesn't have to. Yeah. He'll call me from New York. Say, oh, I'm going through all this New York uh, you know, subways. And I'm used to the traffic. And he's just kind of talking to me, you know. And at the very end, he'll go, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, can you send me that file? You know. Yeah. I say, no problem. I think he just, like, I like to be there for people, even if I'm not feeling good and I'm not, and I'm maybe got all kinds of reasons to be depressed. Yeah. Just help people. Yeah. Help them. Yeah. 
There's so much gold in everything you just said. The first thing that that jumped out at me was I often get people asking inside Daydream Believers or, you know, in other groups that I'm members of, how do I network? How do I how do I get a publisher to listen to my track? How do I get this? How do I get that? How do I get what I need and want? And it goes back to what we were discussing earlier of just having the education to ask the right questions. So it's rather than how do I get what I need and want? It's how can I provide you with what you need and want? Yes. Rather than saying to somebody, have you got any work for me? Or let me know if you've got any work for me. What do you need and want? And yeah, I'd love people to just run with that and experiment with that. Yeah, it's a tough one because like I said, we're, we're brainwashed to thinking that happiness is us accomplishing things we yeah, us us or us getting what we need and want that's that's happiness life. right that's success well what about the success of when you see somebody else really succeeding because you help them there's nothing mm. like that yeah and when you do that they always will go they'll they will say to you what do you need and want yeah and they'll go cuz I'll do it man yeah. after what you did for me mm. and you'll get way more out of that relationship than you would if you're like, hey, check this out. Hey, can do you need yeah. this? Do you, you know, yeah. my song? and Yeah, absolutely. Or assuming that you know what they need. That's another one. Yeah. It's yeah. a big one. Yeah. Oh, I, I, they need blah, blah, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Oh, good luck. I mean, yeah. that's going to, it doesn't go well. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's nobody's fault, but it's just not the way that we're educated, you know, right. rather than... You know, at school, um, encouraging us to be collaborative and and cooperative. It's competition, and um, you know who, who's going to be the winner. And so it's it's almost like it's deeply ingrained within us to be you know, me, 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 and how do I get what I want, and how do I get to the top, or you know, um, yeah, how can I come out? The winner in this yeah well team competition is awesome that's what life is team competition is awesome it causes people to work together, together yeah you know towards a goal mm-hmm. and to suffer defeat together mm. some people will look at that and go oh it's bad because you you know you, the competition is making somebody win and somebody lose well guess how life goes guess how life goes you win sometimes and you lose sometimes. So if you don't prepare somebody for that, you know, they're, they're not going to do well. Yeah. They're not going to do well yeah. at all. So team competition is awesome. And that's really like, that's what you should set up for yourself. You should set up a team, mm. you know. I mean, do you, did you hear Iz at that last meeting when he was talking about how I was asking him what he needed and wanted and I kept asking him and yeah. kept asking him? Yeah. Because usually people won't answer. Yeah. That's another thing. You have to keep rewording the question, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're not used to it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not how, it's not how many people approach the networking uh, philosophy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have a motto, which is I'm either networking or not networking. working. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you're networking in the right way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And um, the other thing that you said, which I thought was really poignant when we were talking about the reward that you feel when you you see the, f- the fruits of your labor after you've helped someone, when you see them success- succeed. And like I've experienced that in the past is actually 
Um, that's right, because what you said was, you know, even when I'm feeling kind of crappy or, you know, and I'll still go and help people. And I've I've been in that situation when my mum passed away and I was really depressed and in this, you know, bubble of poor me, my life's horrible. And I didn't want to help people when people around me needed help. The minute I reached out and helped other people was the, the exact same minute my depression went away. Yeah. And it, that act of helping people in and of itself is profoundly he- healing. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully we can, you know, I mean, my goal is to create a renaissance in the music industry, which will then help create a renaissance in the culture. Yeah. And the biggest part of that renaissance is kind of re-educating people that happiness is helping others. Yeah. It's not what you acquire or get. And, you, and you'll get, you'll acquire, you'll get, yeah. you'll become very rich. Yeah. Like the more people you help, guess what? And I say one thing with a caveat, a warning. And some people don't quite get it, so I'll explain this, which is, you know, I say, help people who deserve it. Well, what about people that don't? What do you mean? What about the bum on the street? Well, I'm not saying that you don't help them. I'm saying the best way to help them is to find people who deserve help and help them first. Hmm then we all become much, much stronger and together we can do a lot more effective mm. in helping those who are, you know, at the bottom of the rung. Mm. So another thing is if you help someone who doesn't deserve it, they'll do worse and so will you. Mm. That's one thing that I've learned in life. Interesting. So think about that. Like, you know, so if you're going to go networking and you're going to go around and say, oh yeah, what do you need and want? And if you're doing it to somebody who doesn't deserve it, you're going to get pulled into, you know, a rabbit hole. You're going to go, you're going to feel worse. You're going to probably get depressed. That person's going to pull you down. Mm. The more you help them, the worse they'll do. Unfortunately, there's people like that. Mm. You know, they don't really want the help, but they may feign like they do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to watch out for that, that passive aggressive type. Yeah. It's like when you talk about judging character, that's that's the toughest right there. Yeah. Is the ones that pretend to be your friend, that smile. You know, but you just watch the result of their actions. That's how you really, really judge someone. Mm. Look at what's in their wake. Mm. When they're gone, behind them, what's left behind? Are people doing better? Or are they doing worse? Are they happier or not? Mm. Is, have, have things broken? Have they broken down around them? Or are they doing better? Mm. So, yeah, it's like help people who deserve the help. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's that's also a really useful exercise that people can um, adopt to help them in their character judgment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's really ha- helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. It's my pleasure to be able to bring you guests who are experts in their field to help you continue walking the path of your dreams. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to know what you thought of it. So please do remember to subscribe in iTunes and give us a little rate and review. If the show resonated with you, please share it with someone you think would benefit from it. If you have a question or topic you'd like answered on the podcast, head to lizcirelli.com forward slash contact and pop me a message. 
If you'd like to join my coaching community, Daydream Believers, and connect with me on a deeper level, you can become a patron. Just head to patreon.com forward slash Liz Chirelli, where you can sign up quickly and easily. As a patron, you'll get access to the full range of my coaching packages, plus you'll get exclusive early access to all of my musical output.